evidence and answers. Effectively share Christ with our Hindu friends, many quickly realize we are dealing with a different mindset and worldview. Evangelistic approaches that are used in the West may be difficult to apply when sharing with Hindus. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we will conclude an interview with Rahil Patel and learn more about his journey out of Hinduism and how to share Christ with your Hindu friends and family members. We are often told that Hinduism is supposed to be an all-embracing religion. Yeah. And that's the attractiveness of that religion that we're all embracing. But you said you were uh, shunned by and had to leave the entire community. It doesn't sound like an all-embracing kind of faith. Well, you see, there are a couple of things. It's a great question, Patrick. One of the reasons why they shun is because when someone like me rejects them, there's a lot of guilt and shame that is released over them. So guilt and shame is quite central to the culture of Hindus. And so not feeling that, not succumbing to that, one way of doing that is by shunning someone so that you throw the shame on that person, the guilt on that person, and not bear it yourself. Philosophically, yeah, people say this often that Hinduism is all-embracing, but in fact, fundamentally, it's not. It's very monotheistic. It's every denomination believes fundamentally, crucially, that their way is the right way to God. So, when you go into a Hindu temple, you'll notice which images are in the central shrine. That indicates that this is the path, this God that we believe in is the way to heaven. And you'll have other images around in the temple, but this is the way. So they say it's all embracing and they portray that, but when it comes to the real practice and real core beliefs, it's very monotheistic in that way. It's very one way. And so, yeah, that's that's why they shun. They do shun. Yes. Well, you shared with us your story and your background. And so tell us, those of us who are engaging friends and family members in the Hindu culture, you know, what kind of things should we be careful of when engaging and trying to, you know, share the love of Christ with our Hindu friends here in the West? It's a great Great question. Several things that come to mind. The first and foremost is, you know, be well versed in the knowledge of that worldview. You know, I'm not saying spend 20, 30 years like I did, but, you know, you hear Patrick, people say, even prominent preachers say something like Hinduism has 330 million gods. A, that's inaccurate. Worse, that's very insulting and offensive. So they have Tetriskar or Devta, which means 330 million angelic beings. They have one supreme God. They have several incarnations of that same God, but they don't have 330 million gods. And when you start saying things like this, it comes across as an insult because you haven't really taken a keen interest of understanding. That's just one example. Another example you hear quite common, especially in the West, is Hinduism is monism, you know, 
that's just one of the 17 threads. So I did apologetics here in Oxford and in the class, you know, someone said that C.S. Lewis said that Christianity is the only faith that has a personal God. Now, that's true for Advaita monism, but you cannot say that to people from my former denomination or to the Hari Rama, Hari Krishnas, who are Vaishnavs, they have a very personal God. The head of the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies believes in a personal God. So at one level, it's about really, you know, I often say that if you want to change the behavior of a person, you first of all have to understand how they see the world. And for that, you need knowledge. You, know, you need to know what they're about. So that's, that's the first step, which obviously takes time, you know. The second thing is, and I see this typically done by Christians, is when they're trying to understand, especially apologists and evangelists, they highlight Christian truths to Hindus that actually appeal to a Christian audience and not to the Hindu. I'll give you an example. I was speaking to a Hindu at one university and we were giving some free books at the time, the group I was with, and I gave a book. Um, I was about to give this book of a prominent evangelist and I read the table of contents very quickly. And one of the chapters was titled, Jesus is the only teacher in the history of mankind that overcame the greatest barrier of all, which is death. Now, that's true, but you're speaking to a Christian audience. Hindus don't care about death, neither do Sikhs, neither do Jains, neither do Buddhists. You know, I even couldn't understand when I came to faith why Christians jumped up up and down celebrating, singing, death is defeated, death is defeated. It wasn't ever an issue. So it's about, it's it's these kind of things that may appeal to a Christian audience, but it, it doesn't appeal to that audience. On that same note, you know, I hear sometimes Christians asking the question on salvation, right? For us, salvation is forgiveness of sins. Now, in that worldview, across all of the threads of Vedic philosophy, moksha has a very different definition to what we have as salvation. So if you go to a Hindu and say, do you know you've sinned? He knows. And then you say, do you know you need forgiven? It doesn't appeal to them because forgiveness is so peripheral to their practice for the sake of the liberation of their soul to go into heaven. Moksha for them is to outweigh the karma they've done in this birth and previous births by doing spiritual practices, by doing dharma, by going to the temple, rituals, by meditating, by worshipping. So their aim is to liberate their soul, which has been in and out of various bodies, birth and rebirth, and they want their soul to go to heaven. They want it to go to God. So we can't go in with just Christian concepts and expect them to really understand. We've got to look at what are they trying to achieve in their spiritual life? What's the end goal? How are they doing it? And then, you know, link that to gospel truths and build that bridge and then and have a discussion at that level. And just one last thing quickly on that is, you know, some South Asians as well, they relate 
Christianity or the name word Christian with Western civilization or sometimes British colonialism. So I've noticed in certain South Asian communities who are, you know, ministering to Hindus, they tend to use the word follower of Jesus instead of uh, Christian. So that sometimes helps just break this sort of political rhetoric that's constantly going on in India that Christianity is a Western religion, it's a colonial religion, which it isn't. Obviously, you and I know that. But that also helps. So these are some thoughts, um, Patrick, that, that come to mind. So, you know, one of the things I think it's really important when we're sharing not only with Hindus, but people from very different worldviews, I think you bring up a good point, is to really sit down and listen and see their worldview and their basic theology yeah. and where they're coming from and to get an understanding of, you know, where they're coming from. Because one of the things you pointed out is that there's really hundreds of different schools of Hinduism, and yeah. many of them are very different. So you really need to know what their worldview and basic theology is before you begin to share Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why when I'm training certain churches in North America, I ask them or I look in their city or town's vicinity and I make a note of the different Hindu temples that are there. And then I train according to the different doctrines and practices based on the community that are living in that church vicinity. Does, does that sort of make sense? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when people say I'm called to Hindus, I'm like, what does that even mean? It's going to take you eons <laughs> to, to work there. Just figure out who's doing what, what kind of denomination is it in your town, in your city, which kind of temples are there. And then, you know, look at the practices, the culture, the doctrines, and that'll give you an idea of how they see the world, how they see you as a believer as well. Yes. At the uh, seminary I teach here, uh, one of the classes I have is the World Religions class, and we do our annual temple tour with the World Religions class. And they're, they're surprised when we go to the Hare Krishna temple, how they're yeah. proclaiming they're monotheist. And the God they worship is a very personal God. And yet when we go to another more classic, what they describe themselves as a more Vedic kind of Hindu yeah. temple, it seems more the classical kind of Hinduism that we study in class. Yeah. So as yeah. you're saying, there's a great variety there yeah. in Hinduism. Yeah. So, you know, like with with uh, the Hari Rama, Hari Krishnas, who have a high emphasis on bhakti devotion. You want to go down the route of Song of Solomon or, or, or the Psalms or intimacy with Jesus. What does that look like? What does worship look like? You know, what does that word look like from the point of view of Christ? That would really appeal. And the other class that you're talking about, the Vedic classical sort of style of monism, maybe in that one, you, you talk about other Christian concepts that relate to that particular denomination and worldview. And that's how you end up having more bridge building, effective, loving, respectful conversations. Why I say respectful is otherwise, if you go in and just shoot from the hip, I'm sure this is the same with all cultures, but Hindus get put off very quickly and they have a brilliant way of hiding that they've been put off, but their brains have just switched off very quickly uh-huh. if you say something you know it's like the opposite teams just left the pitch mm. and you haven't even realized you know 
Yes. And so, Rahil, what are some basic ideas then that you would suggest that you know would be helpful for us as to as we engage our Hindu friends for Christ, you know, that we can be more effective in engaging with our Hindu friends? So I think the first point is what I just mentioned earlier is about spiritual mapping, you know, figuring out who's doing what in that worldview in your city or town or neighborhood. What are their practices? What are their doctrines? What's the culture? And that helps you then understand which avenues you have available to speak with them. The second, and I think this is also just as important, is to lovingly, respectfully explain that you can be very Indian or South Asian and still follow Jesus. You don't have to be Western to follow Jesus. Now, this may sound like common sense to us, me and you, or many in the Christian world, but it's not so from the South Asian community. Because I said, you know, after, you know, two, three hundred years of British rule, they still feel it's a Western thing. So sharing the gospel in an Indian context is what some people do. I've, I've seen that, you know, using Hindi terms or terms that are often used in the spiritual language of Hinduism, but you can directly translate them. And so I know some people say, instead of Jesus, they say Isu Avatar, which immediately relates, ah, okay, incarnation of Jesus. Isu Avatar is just such a common way to enter the heart of a person instead of saying Jesus Christ. So these kind of Indian terminologies centered around Christ help. Like I said earlier, also similarities, stories, um, telling stories, this is really powerful, gospel stories, especially stories of physical healing. And this is huge. I've seen this in India. You know, you can go to any town and village, and if there's an announcement that we're going to pray for healing, Hindus will come along. They'll come. Mm. I've seen Hindus receive prayer in the name of Jesus, and I've seen them be healed. Mm. And then I've also seen them then give their lives to Christ in India. You see, Indians are very open to the supernatural. When you go to India, or for even most Indians in the in the West, South Asians, you don't ask the question, do you believe in the supernatural? It's like, uh, is the Pope Catholic? It's a silly question. <laughs> there are no coincidences in that worldview. It's all supernatural. And so they're very open to our understanding and affiliation with the Holy Spirit and how he moves in people's lives and how he physically touches them and heals them. So testimonies like that, sharing testimonies like that is very, very important, very powerful and very uplifting to a Hindu because they all believe the vast majority that God is punishing them for some karma, explaining lovingly that now it's in the nature of God to heal. He's a loving father. Jesus healed the sick, cleansed lepers, and he cast out, casted out demons. So this just relates so profoundly to Hindus. They get it. They get it more than more than many Westerners, I'd, I'd dare to say. You know, they, they'd get that. And so that's something really powerful. Majority of Hindus have come to faith 
have come to faith through the power of God, through healing, the love of Jesus, and his character, talking about his character, Jesus's character, that's very attractive to Hindus. As opposed to, you know, the typical contrast competition, talking on sin, theology, and all these other things, yeah, those things can come later on once you've built um, a relationship. But these aspects of God's power, his love, healing, the supernatural, these testimonies, the testimonies are very powerful as they prophesy, you know, for it to happen in their lives or people that they know. So um, that's what I also would suggest. And in conversations, you know, you're talking of karma against grace here. And this is really fascinating as a believer in Jesus. We are loved as we are. There's nothing we've done that would make God love us less, and we can't do anything more that would make him love us more. Now, this to a Hindu, A, is so contradictory because it's a karma-based faith. So when we're talking with Hindus in that loving way, do mention these things. You're loved as you are. You're not judged. And, and obviously, not just superficially, but our hearts also in that tender soft place where we are also speaking to them lovingly. You know, we're not judging. And this is really sometimes throws them off in a beautiful way. What you like me as I am, not because of what I can do or what I have or my talent or this or that, or what kind of spirituality I've got. No, I just love you as you are. That's really powerful because that's a constant subconscious battle a Hindu will be going through is the shame and guilt of karma, the smallest of mistakes adds up, it weighs. There's always this sense of heaviness on them, always a sense of heaviness on them, a weight. And how we navigate to that weight without pointing it out, without calling it out, but offering the love of Christ, how does he see you? That's just beautiful. And that really has a huge impact because that releases freedom. Last point, you know, that comes to mind is we're also called to spend time in God's presence and be and have communion and allow his presence to rest on us. And so I firmly believe that even if you're talking to a Hindu about coffee or sports, if the presence of God is resting on you, to a practicing Hindu, they will notice. Mm. They're very quick at noticing that you're not alone, that there's someone else with you. They may not know who it is, what it is, but they'll know. They will really know. And, you know, that story of Brother Lawrence comes to mind 500 years ago who wrote Practicing the Presence of God, you know. He would be in such intense worship with Jesus that while he would wash utensils, people would come from miles just to watch him wash utensils that's how much of god's presence was resting on him now he didn't do it so that people would watch but that was just a byproduct mm -hmm. of his spiritual journey with christ and so i often say to churches try not to get so tempted to show the alpha pamphlet in the second sentence or when can i say this when can i say that don't get so restless about it you know 
be present with God in that moment and allow God to minister through you because people aren't projects, you know. It's not a number game here. It's introducing them to the person, the living person of Jesus. And I think that's just powerful. We have this when the guy at the gate said, the gate beautiful said that, you know, give me something. Peter said, money or silver, I have not, but what I have, I can give. Now his shadow healed. Now we know shadows don't have a substance, but there was something profoundly beautiful overshadowing Peter that he was able to give and that man was healed. So we have this, you know, we, we have this. It's not just an intellectual idea. So I often say that, look, you know, spend time with the Lord alone, not to build a ministry, not to build sort of a profile or not to prepare a sermon, not to find what season you're in next. Just be and enjoy and be enjoyed by God and allow that sort of ecosystem of his spirit resting on you throughout the day. And I I feel there'll be less effort in ministry. I feel and believe you'd be able to do more by accident than you would have done by on purpose, you know, if this kind of approach and lifestyle is acknowledged and practiced. Now, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here as well, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what we have. We have that beautiful fragrance that we can carry while we're talking. Oh, those are some great insights here. You know, we could go on talking for a couple more hours to Rahil, uh, but unfortunately, our show comes to an end. But Rahil, if people want more information on the things that you talked about, what are some resources that you could recommend for us? Some resources. I think um, there are some wonderful ministries that are in North America. My book was published in 2016. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a starting point, which would help people understand the struggles, the spiritual challenges and the spiritual struggles. That's a starting point to really understand that world and what it's like within that world, not just spiritually, but emotionally and practically, and in terms of community and culture. I could suggest that, which is quite cheeky. Oh, <laughs> but, sure. um, The book is titled Found by Love, and it's available on Amazon and and various bookshops. But, you know, different people are doing different approaches in different parts of the world. In Chicago, USA, I know a church that's doing a lot of contextual missiology. There's a ministry in Dallas that's doing, you know, more along the lines of loving like Jesus, what kind of things could be say or do. But I think if you have a look at this book, and that will first and foremost give you a very deep insight into that world. It's one specific denomination, but the culture of that denomination is quite typical across all the denominations. Is that fair to say? Fantastic. (laughs) Yes. And and do do you have a website or how could people contact you? They can contact me via, there is a temporary website up. I'm in the process of building a new one, but I just haven't had the chance. So it's um, rahilpatel.nl. So a friend of mine in uh, Holland has uh, put up a temporary website while we build this other one 
in the UK. It's Rahil Patel, one word, dot NL, and for November, L for Lima. So you can contact me through that website. Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Rahil Patel. He's studying there at Oxford in England there. And the book that he mentioned, Found by Love, that you can, great resource for you there for those of us who want to be more effective in sharing Christ with our Hindu friends and family members. So Rahil, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers, sharing your story and your insights with us today. Thank you so much, Patrick. It was a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps even hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You will also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrack. Oh, 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 oh,